Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Um, connection issues last week. Yeah, so I guess we were supposed to apologize. Uh, you know, we think we live in the future, but in fact, we still, you know, are pathetic. Well, what what happened was uh, <laughs> Jeremy was in his uh, family's cabin, and they have sort of cellular broadband. Is that the way to describe it? Yeah, there's this new thing. It's a I don't know if it's in the U.S., but in Canada, it's kind of sweeping rural communities, rural communities, yeah. um, where. You know, you've probably had cell phone access in some of these places, but you're like, why is the internet so shitty uh, over the phone lines? And so what they started doing is um, putting up cellular towers just for home internet. And it's like in anticipation of also 5G and stuff, right? Like, Yeah. But then what happened was at the time we wanted to record, it was raining. So all the vacationers were watching Netflix in their cabins. Everyone shares the same tower. Yeah. So yeah. it was not good. Um I, I always thought that video was a really bad idea on the internet. I thought the internet was way cooler without video. But, but, oh, of man. course, that's that's like, like stabbing whole reason you in for the back. Being. But, <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I feel like if we had broadband as fast as it is now, but all the websites were still as small as they were in the beginning of the internet, mm-hmm. everything would be so fast. Yeah, I would have gone the other way. It would have been like Macromedia Director or Flash would have just like kept going, and we would have been. I think that's actually what happened, right? Because you you want you basically want the internet to feel like DVD extras. Well, that's exactly what happened. Like app, there is no like the browser based internet has been replaced by the app store. You know the yeah. interactive applica- internet connected application. So I don't know. Like my Fire TV is the internet. You know, kind of thing. Like Amazon uh, has the yeah. internet. Apple TV is the internet. Your phone is the yeah. internet. <clears throat> Your poor old internet doesn't exist, Rafa. It hasn't existed in, 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 in ages. I know. It's just, just a New old. York Times article, which is also an app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, and then you had some connection problems with your microphone. So I wanted to talk about USB a little bit. Well, just as I'm we were still, setting up here, yeah. I'm still dedicated to my seven year old laptop. So you're still on the old like uh, USB A or B. Yeah, it it's funny. I, I just I follow all the tech news and then Apple came out with a bunch of new laptops that had bad keyboards and then it doesn't have USB A anymore and I just hear people having lots of inconveniences and the new machines don't seem to be that much faster. Well we have to obviously tell people not to buy a computer this year if it's a Mac. Um and then, like, yeah, obviously, I updated my laptop the last time there was a big revolution. And one of those revolutions was USB-C. Um, but, you know, you you assume it's, like, a superior standard. But I have issues with, like, wires and well, the f- jiggling the cool out. Was, like, they, the, they come the, loose. It's not- the, the selling point was that the plug is smaller and uh, you, you can't put it upside down. or It's symmetrical. Yeah. So it, the, the frustration of USB-A is, like, Oh, I have to turn my arm 180 degrees. I, I grabbed it the wrong end. I mean, the real frustration of connecting things to a laptop is the lap part, you know? So you, it's on your lap, and then you're, like, connecting wires in, and it's precarious. They're of different weights and, like, texture and <laughs> fit and finish. Yeah, and so it, it is wild that we can't really do uh, high-quality audio recording over Bluetooth. Yeah. It, well, the air, it turns out the air is like full of other kind of things, you know, like particles, noise, other waves. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the wireless promise is still, uh, uh, it's, the prosumer demands more than the wireless can deliver. Oh, man, I don't know. Yeah, because I've gone to Ethernet like everyone has for Zoom calls. Because Zoom, 
there's just if you have a packet lost zoom's not very good about that you know it's it sounds like you also need a desktop computer and like an an office for yourself that sounds like like a a prison sentence (laughs) really because i'm a digital nomad and oh yeah and digital nomad with nowhere to go i roam (laughs) i roam my apartment (laughs) (laughs) that could be a cool song yeah yeah digital nomad nowhere to go nowhere to go locked down (laughs) yeah pandemic 2020 (laughs) locked (laughs) (laughs) for all the homies yeah um but then uh you're not this is something that's weird now it's uh Everybody's like, okay, we'll lock down for a few weeks till this thing blows over and everybody's working from home. And normally a company pays for the office yeah. and now everybody's paying for their own office. So totally. I'm like... Are companies like uh, compensating their staff for part of the rent because they're using their own home? Well, I hope so. I mean, I'm campaigning for it. So I, I'm taking on some of the, strate- the strategy at work and I put forward some problem statements and potential strategies. Like I did a, a SWOT for the company, like a strategic uh, spreadsheet. Have you ever done a SWOT? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, oh, okay. No, I have not. It's a fun way just to like wrap your head around. Like It's the simplest, well, simplest form of strategy. It feels like in, in tech, you guys are fighting for employees, so you have to offer perks. But maybe other companies are like, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, that would be like potentially a threat. Um, and then you would say, okay, well, what's the opportunity? Oh, I know we'll go remote only. And then we can like attract, you know, employees from other places. One of the interesting like things that's come up from a labor standpoint is like, here's it. And it's an interesting thought experiment for you and our listeners, which is, it's it's maybe, yeah, it is a second. This is going to help us get to a segue. I promise you. But, uh, so if you can hire anyone, anywhere in the world, what should you pay them? Should you pay them what the market rate is in their local city or country? Or should you pay them the market rate of the dollar collected in the, uh, well, the headquarter country? I guess the normal business strategy is pay as little as you can get away with. See, yeah, exactly. You just went there. But, you know, I would have assumed, so, you know, you're an American company, you should pay a Canadian, you know, in the same price you'd pay an American. You're getting the exact same value. But the way it works is, or the way companies are all positioning right now, and I don't know if it's how it's going to shake out, but is like, hey, if we have an employee in uh, in Europe, or like, let's say it's like in Eastern Europe, we're going to pay them less than we're going to pay the one that's, you know, American or Canadian. And if like... Well, that's like the, the Big Mac index. McDonald's has a different price for the Big Mac in every country. Because of the and cost even of in, living, I guess. But like, it just yeah, seems even like... Yeah, even like a Big Mac is more expensive in New York than in uh, uh, Kansas. I see. Yeah, well, what if um, Big Macs were the internet? And they were data. Would you pay? Like, we don't pay. I guess you do pay more. I'm sure for the Netflix. internet in New York is more expensive than in, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, Ohio. But I guess we just have this illusion that um, geography doesn't exist. But, and then we're really fighting to keep the stupid parts of geography, like people being paid different amounts. Because it really is like one of the ways that um, you're right, business controls costs is by exploiting the geographic constraints of a, of, of, a, of a group of people, which is the segue into today's movie. Yeah. <laughs> the geographic constraints of yeah. an Italian... And then we get to the 19th century yeah. and the tree of wooden clogs. May we take you back in time. Directed by Hermano Olmi, who directed Il Posto, that we reviewed here before. Yeah, I feel like you're just going to keep 
going down this like you you really just like one director you like this one director <laughs> well i have to say i'm blown away yeah i have to admit that the there's there's a certain era of films of uh, maybe european art house that uh, i'm a fan of and i like a lot of the films of werner herzog and they use a certain grittiness that makes it feel real but he's also overly dramatic and to me Ermano Olmi is like the good qualities of Herzog without the crazy he's like your he's like the chill humanist <laughs> yeah but in a in a sense it's more intense because it's uh life is is you don't know a Klaus Kinski who's screaming all the time life is more mundane and so in a way that hits harder okay so we're we're in uh 19th century rural but, Italy uh, I w- Right. What was the because it's a while ago. What was the movie we we watched the two weeks ago, and that's why I wanted to watch this one. <laughs> you can't even remember. No, uh, what was it two weeks ago? We watched. Uh, was it my choice? Um, uh, you can't remember either. Well, I can. I'm on the internet. I can do this thing. I'm looking it up. It was eighth grade. Oh yeah, that's which right. Was my choice. Yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of a. It was a realistic look. At, well, I, I think that that movie ended with the idea that. Is anxiety and depression a side effect of a prosperous society? And which is a very controversial statement, and I'm not saying it's true, but there's something about Instagram and being physically, uh, like, being materially comfortable, and then being trapped in loops of the mind and just thinking, "Am I good enough? Am I good enough?" And then this movie, their life is so far from that. So that's why I thought it would be interesting to explore, like. We're living in the Instagram age, and this is just... Oh, yeah. You're living with nature and the brutal forces of nature and yeah, yeah. A, a boss that takes most of your work from you. This was your attempt at normalizing mediocrity. So, like, because it's the argument that... No. Yeah, I know, I'm just kidding. But the, the argument is that we, you know, it's a very, like, um, your parents would say, I had it so much harder when I was your age. I had to, like, yeah, walk yeah, to yeah. school yeah. on, you know... Well, my my father Glass. grew up on a farm, and and his dad really uh, was in a pre-industrial farming era. He he, um, he was really moving a plow behind a horse. My grandfather. So it's really not that far away. This movie. But I think like one of the things the movie might propose that I'd ask you to consider is that you know potentially like I think there's a tension there, which is that even though it was hard, there are also certain things about it that you would probably trade. Uh, from your life today, the camaraderie. Yeah, the camarad, the community, the the like the the seasons, the nature, like the, the just yeah. the rural life, and and people actually try and acquire that. Um, well, that's th- that's why I thought this movie was interesting because I think a lot of people right now, I think modernity and food production and everything, we're we're coming to grips with all the problems. Uh, if you see. Uh, should we introduce the movie a little bit? Yeah, I think you got it. I mean, it's a bunch of old, poor people in Italy. <laughs> it's a, a, just just to set up the movie. It, it's a, it feels like a documentary. They follow four families that are uh, peasant farmers. They all live together on, that, on kind of one farm, which is not owned. But they by don't them. own the farm. Yeah. There's there's a landowner and they are wage workers basically. It, it's a it's a different idea than an employee. Well, they're, they're kind of managing the farm, and they have to give sixty percent of their yeah, sixty six percent, I think, or two thirds of their crops mm-hmm. goes to the landowner, who doesn't have to do much for it. Yeah, 
And so they're breaking their backs and working with the seasons, and it's difficult, and there are setbacks, and uh, they're kind of, you really feel like they're expendable, and that's what the movie's about, I think, that uh, the landowner can just say, like, okay, you broke a rule, out of here, yeah. and then just pack up your shit and leave. And kind of the big... So it's not only, they're, they're not only uh, an employee, but they also live on the landowner's property, so when you get fired, you really have nothing. Yeah, and they're like, I guess like there's probably like 50 little mini plot lines within a three-hour film. And then yeah. there's like one that's devastating and kind of causes, you know, is the denouement. And the movie follows them over the course of a year. Basically, like how long winter to spring, summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the movie's called The Tree of Wooden Clogs because at one point, one of the boys' clogs breaks. Now, I say one point, but it takes two hours for this thing to happen. <laughs> <laughs> this is part of it, also to offset the Instagram age. I was curious. <laughs> it's like, the slowest movie like ever. one of the things of the current moment that I keep thinking about is that it's it's become very hard to listen to long form. Maybe like to sit down with a glass of brandy and listen to a three hour piece of classical music. I don't know how many people can do that without looking at their phone and well, totally. seeing what's happening. I mean, just modern life, even under a pandemic. I actually struggled because I rented this movie on a Thursday. And then they give you 48 hours to watch it. And I was down to like... <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a three and a half hour movie. Yeah, so and I, I had 45 yeah. minutes left to watch like 30 minutes of the movie at, at the end. And I was racing to sneak it in like while I was cooking dinner for my family. And <laughs> it was, you know, I had to say like, no, I have to watch this. The clock is kicking. It was Did like you an enjoy episode it? of 24. Um, well, it was interesting because like my panic to watch these people in this slow context, there was like this this tension that was at times frustrating for me. You know how people get frustrated with long-winded films? It doesn't help if, like, there's also, like, a capitalist timer (laughs) saying, like, you're going to have to re-up if you don't finish watching this. What's funny about that is that I think you are not very generous with yourself. So if if one of your employees on your team is behind on a deadline and they need more time and that costs the company a thousand bucks or whatever you'd be like sure quality is better than quantity let's do it right blah 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 but for you to rent the movie again and pay another four dollars it's just never gonna happen that's not gonna happen I'd rather die yeah Yeah. I think we have to do an episode on frugality (laughs) I could have bought the movie instead of renting it twice um but yeah, I mean, you did you did make me watch Sonic the Hedgehog for twenty bucks, and then The King of Staten Island for twenty bucks. Well, so first of all, Sonic the Hedgehog, action packed. You know, you, you got through <laughs> that, and you thought, "Wow, I'd watch you, that three more times." You know, <laughs> more special effects for the dollar. Yeah. There, well, this movie was shot coming, by, the by the director himself, so it's really minimal crew. Yeah, and so famously, just like El Posto, I don't think there's much more to talk about here, but he cast real people from the real village not from the time obviously but there's not they're not actors in the film and you can they're tell speaking in the in the original dialect i mean yeah. you read stuff about this film they're like it's amazing these people it's like they're not acting i'm like mm, they're definitely not acting when you're watching the film because there's times where they overact um like the guy there's this guy who put he finds a coin on the ground and he's so excited, obviously, because he's poor and he finds this golden coin. I sound so crass. It's a beautiful today. golden coin. Yeah. yeah. But then the, I don't know, like in this way, I found it patronizing. Like he kind of like went to that redneck space of like, well, this guy's not very smart. So what he ends up doing is he hides the, the coin in the hoof of the horse in of a horse in the mud in the yeah. mud. And then later he's upset 
and accuses the horse of stealing the coin when it's missing. <laughs> but he's he's also an alcoholic. He's kind of just messed up. But I think yeah. they kind of cast all of the characters as a little bit, um, as a, yeah, like kind of like helpless in a way, um, like yeah. stupid, which I thought was like a bit weird given the politics of this landowner that is like oppressing them, right? And eventually evicts yeah. the family that cuts down the tree to fix the child's yeah. clog. I, but I, I do think you have to see this movie in the context of Hollywood movies of the 50s and early 60s, oh, yeah. where um, they would hire Kirk Douglas to play Vincent van Gogh. Yeah, yeah. Like a super athletic guy with a big jaw who can get every girl he wants uh, and went through life as a star. And he has to play this miserable person who uh, empathizes with the... The, the the peasant class and paints them because they have never been shown in in the arts and very like a introverted crazy loser played by the biggest star in the world yeah you know that's the hollywood way and and one of the things i also think about i don't know if you ever saw that movie vincent van gogh with kirk douglas but it's very funny when you see it now you see like this <laughs> muscular guy behind the canvas screaming in all of his emotions ah oh, i have to paint the time I live in, raw, and, and, and like crying by the canvas. That's what and I do every just, morning. <laughs> and there's this, I think for a long time, movies were all shot and lit in the same way. So every movie, it doesn't matter where it takes place, has this bright Hollywood daylight, the California light. And then this movie is shot very subdued. There's a lot of mist and uh, fog and mornings and dew and the, the colors are subdued. And so... Yeah, it's very dark. It, it, fr- right from the start, it's it's a very different atmosphere, and then th- the bad ending is also so un-American. And uh, yeah, and I guess it was part of a movement, right, of Italian r- neo-realism, right? Um, yeah, but it is a premise. I, I, I think it's very rare for Hollywood movies to have a sad ending. Um, it has a very sad ending that's not resolved. It's true. I mean, we we've definitely. Um, Propose that. However, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I, I was thinking I could take a different position today. It's not one-sided. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I'd say that Hollywood did eventually figure this out. I mean, obviously there are other art house films that have followed in the footsteps uh, of Old Man. This one. This film won a, a Palme d'Or, so it, it was recognized academically. I don't think it showed in very many American theaters, if any, probably um, maybe a few art house cinemas, right? But um, here's my argu- here's my my point uh, that I think this is just for fun. But I'm in a pre- I'm in a position that this movie is alive in reality television, mm. <laughs> and specifically the Japanese television show, and now maligned and, and controversial, but once celebrated Terrace House. Why is it maligned now? I think there was something that happened with uh, one of the people on the show committed suicide. So. Oh, that's not, not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Terrace House, have you ever watched it? Yeah, I tried. I, I couldn't get into it. Yeah, I mean, but exactly. Like, if you if you look at this film, you know, to get to that level of reality where you're like, ah, yes, that's what it's like to be alive in, you know, 1890 yeah. in rural Italy. So, you know, the same thing. What is it like to be alive in, like, Japan? We try different reality television shows have, like, tried to do this thing where they'll capture a slice of life but television you know took the cinematic format of like two hours and said 
fuck that. We're going to do 40 hours. And then, <laughs> and then some shows like Terrace House were like, fuck that. We're going to do like 2,000 hours or whatever. I, I saw a great quote by a writer. He said, anything can happen in life, especially nothing. Yeah, there you go. And I think yeah. this film's full of those like little uh, moments. That's why I said it's like 50 plots in it. Like, you know, someone yeah. has a baby. Yeah, and no, no resolution. Yeah. Things happen, but there's not really an ending. Yeah, like a cow gets sick. Then the next day it's standing up. Oh, great. Let's move on. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was going to be the movie. No, it's not. It's actually inconsequential to everything. But did the. <laughs> your family also has a background in Europe. Did, did it sort of make you feel connected to the way your grandparents or their parents lived? Like, did it give you a sense of uh, realism that you had not seen in other movies? Yeah, I think that's kind of the obvious place to go because um, the movie was made based on Olmi's like talk stories from his grandmother, right? And my grandmother told stories, and my mother told stories about you know growing up in the Ukraine and surviving on a bag of onions, or people just dying of starvation uh, at the hands of the Russian famine. But also, just like things were really hard if you worked on a farm in the Ukraine. And then I actually yeah, like, you know. like one thing I recognized is that uh, one of the farmer's kids, the the priest says, "Your kid is bright, so he should go to school." And he's like, "Well, but I really need the the helping hand on the farm." And I was counting on him. Right. And uh, my father, he, they all went to school, but he did. His father considered school leisure time, and then when you get home, then you start working. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems so like the the they, they had to work on the farm and they wouldn't get paid. And like at the time. Having kids wasn't a cost. It was actually free employees. And this is kind of like an era where, you know, feudalism was pretty popular. So the church or someone might own the land, but you definitely didn't own the land. And you just worked to live and survive, right? It's the live to work versus, what is it? Work to live versus live to work, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're really working to live. Um, but yeah, so my my grandparents, uh, my mom did not have that life, but my grandparents uh, did, and they and they obviously it's not far away. And then my grandfather was a laborer the rest of his life. I went back to the Ukraine and went into the countryside, you know, to where they lived. And I will say this: this is why I was like, you know, potentially positioning that this isn't the worst thing, and it's kind of a problematic conversation. But regardless, like, I honestly found the happiest people I've ever encountered in any of my travels like in the middle of nowhere in the Ukraine. Yeah. And so like the way it had been presented to me by my grandparents and the media was like, these people in the Ukraine are like miserable. And then I went there and I'll tell you a story. Like one day I went for a walk in the forest with a, some, a friend, another artist. I was there for an art residency. And then we heard singing in the forest. And I swear to God, it was like, it was like, well, who are these angels singing? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, we we're like, Oh, let's go find them. And we, you know, we kind of wandered around and then the, the voices got louder and it took us about 20 minutes to finally arrive at this little site where three or four older people, like in their 50s or 60s, were all sitting around a picnic blanket, their car parked nearby, singing songs and having a picnic together. And, you know, we walked up to them and we didn't speak Ukrainian, but they invited us to sit down. They then like encouraged us to dance with them <laughs> and then took us back to their like farmhouse and gave us like potatoes out of their shed, which is what they grew. Um, and we're so like, we're so generous. We're so happy. And, and, and I, for me anyway, it was remarkable because it was so 
so different from what I expected. Now, no doubt yeah, people, it's very you know, if things go wrong, people, it really goes wrong for people, but you can tell that they really value relationships and each other. Um, and I found that like really, I don't know, for me, life changing anyway, but yeah, but it, it it's interesting. Uh, any experience is colored by a personality and a, a movie is a mediated experience colored by the personality of the director. So, there's, I think there's a, a big movement coming from a rejection of modern food and then thinking that life in the past was better because there was no GMO, everything mm-hmm. is organic, uh, you're closer to nature, you appreciate it more. And is that true or is that not true? It's very hard. No one will ever... You can't, yeah, I mean, you can't it's kind of a- dig up skeletons and ask them, were you happy at the time? Yeah, and, and I think it always makes me cringe when people kind of search for authenticity by trying to recreate some pastiche of the past yeah like the paleo diet like oh i think cavemen were very <laughs> healthy extreme, so we should sure. eat like cavemen yeah, yeah. yeah. the romantic caveman period <laughs> I, I always understand things quite well through food like and so they were not eating well the the people in the movie mm-hmm. they, they would just have a bowl of polenta and that's it they, i think maybe once a year they would have a feast and other than that it's just very basic food and maybe some some corn or some some pasta, but well, that's it. I think if you also look at the ideals of like humanism, and I think you know this film is kind of like cast out as like a humanist film, but the ideal is like that there's some ethical or moral imperative to, you know, um, to life, and that we should aspire to some 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 ambiguous ethical or moral yeah. social order, which is like the film actually like kind of dances through throughout the film, right? Like they. Well, that's why I thought you would be interested in this. Yeah, film. it's very social, like it's a very socialist <laughs> or like yeah. so, like kind of like a sociology film. But what I like is that it's socialist without being preachy. It's not like constantly filming the landlord and saying, bad man, bad man, you're ruining everything. It's really just showing the time. And then then you reflect and you start thinking, is that a better way of yeah, life or the, not? the but good it, and it's the not, bad. Yeah, and it's not presented as like... Uh, I can't believe what these people are doing. And the, the the tone of most documentaries now on Netflix or, or Adam Curtis, and you're like, wow, I didn't know the system was that bad. And then you just feel awful. Well, I think you really have to like kind of sit inside a film like this versus try and package it up, right? So, But yeah, I don't know how you feel about Adam Curtis, his, his movies, but it's just like, mm-hmm. whoa, is everybody really that bad? Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, or like some sort of... Um, you know, like the social network. Who's the um, the director? Oh yeah. Um, God, we're terrible at this movie. The podcast. Facebook movie. <laughs> the Facebook. Soderbergh. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, like that level of drama um, or darkness. Yeah, <clears throat> I think the main thing that interests me in this film is the lack of drama or the lack of artificial. You know how in reality TV, they they might film like. Um, someone opens a wedding store, let's say, Mm -hmm. and you want to realistically follow these people for four months, but then they have to add some drama. So they have to add that the the shop almost closed down and then they made it at the end and everybody cries. Well, it reminds me again of like um, reality television because, you know, you would shoot something very boring, but it's actually in the (laughs) post-production that the drama is created. So I wonder if you could recut this film to be like... Yeah. (laughs) I think... think, um, um, 
Guthrie Lonergan did a piece in a museum show at the Hammer Museum, I think in Los Angeles, where he commissioned one of the musicians from the reality TV shows to make a soundtrack for the exhibition. So you walk in different rooms and hear the, the upbeat music oh, yeah. and then the drama music <laughs> and the tension. And the, Whenever yeah. I watch a film like this, after I watch it, it does have a psychological effect on me where I notice every one of my tiniest interactions or actions and the sounds associated because they did record the sound simultaneous during this film, which was rare, I think at the time. And so it's all the real sounds. There's no Foley sounds, but you know, each sound of like, you know, like, you know, you know, every little sound the horse on the field, yeah, exactly. and the fork on the plate. And Cause there's only music very sparingly, uh, throughout the film. Um, and, the, and even the, the the music is sometimes just the characters. It's diegetic, the characters themselves singing. Um, so it's uh, you really like become like if you if you sit there and watch it, you can't help but become, become kind of like it affects your attention span. Like if the internet, well, it's also it's a pre technology. It's a pre mediated age, so there's no people don't have record players or radios or phones or anything. Uh, so all the sounds are just things you're working with or things you bump into and if you want music you have to sing yeah that's the only way and i think uh, part of the modern life uh alain de botton this sort of practical philosopher talks about this idea of status or status anxiety and i think eighth grade was a lot about that where Mm. uh we grow up believing that there are no classes and it's a meritocracy and if you work hard enough you could be bill gates um, so if you're not successful and you're not interesting, it's your fault and you're a loser. And in this ancient world where there was a clear position, you were born into a profession because your parents had that profession. Maybe there was and maybe there wasn't status within each profession in each context. Like even within the 50 farmers on the farm, maybe there was a rivalry and mm. someone gets a bigger piece of polenta. But in the movie eighth grade you're constantly uploading things as a 14 year old girl motivational videos and yours get three views and somebody else gets two and a half million views and everything's calculated and measured well there's also like the argument of the individual versus the collective right and because this is an italian film i think there's more of a collective view of the world the family is very uh is is a very strong unit and it, they're always together. Yeah, and even in terms of society because you know like the, there's but a in, young in couple that gets grade, married and then their first step yeah. is to go adopt a child, right? But the, and then they earn But an in 8th grade the girl is is very removed from her father and the, and the mother even left and she doesn't have friends so it kind of shows that contrast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um the father's reaching out and she's rejecting him and you can't imagine uh well, on a farm at the time when everybody's working to survive that some teenagers like, Dad, you're stupid. Just leave me alone. <clears throat> no, but I think you're right because also even if you were to take this film and ask you know, yourself who's the protagonist, you'd have a pretty hard time. You know, like the, yeah, it's there's no clear hero or villain. I mean, the villain would be no. the landowner, I guess. But he only appears twice in the film, and he doesn't. What is it? He has, doesn't even say anything. In fact, he mostly appears via other people he sends to like, you know, tell. Yeah, them. you see him through the window. You don't see him directly. Yeah. There's that one. The, the 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 manager who evicts them is not the landowner himself. Oh, he's not. The guy on the right. It's the, it's the guy who comes in on the on the yeah, horse. Yeah, the guy with I the top hat. Is he not the owner? 
Maybe he is. I thought it was like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but it, maybe it's irrelevant. Maybe maybe we can tell the plot that uh, so one of the f- poor farmers has a son. He's like maybe seven years old or how old? Yeah. Oh yeah. Can you hear me? Oh. We'll leave this in. We'll leave this in. But we'll just see. These are the perils of USB-C. But okay. Uh, I have to save this one. So I'm recording, but we just had a major incident here. The USB-C cable jiggled. <laughs> update reality TV. Modern life <laughs> yeah. is not that easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. No, but the the title of the movie comes from. There's a young kid, he's maybe seven or ten years old. The priest of the town uh, tells uh, the parents he should go to school. It's quite far. He has to walk to school every day, but it's worth it. He says, in 20 or 30 years, you'll thank me because he'll have a better life and he'll be able to take care of the parents. Um, so it's this move towards the city. And and he has these wooden clogs to walk to school. And at some point... It's it's obvious he's really poor, even in the context of the school. He's a bit embarrassed. His shoe is broken, and he comes home, and it's winter. And the dad needs a bit of wood, so he wakes up in the middle of the night and cuts off a branch, a large branch of a tree to make the sole of the shoe of the clog. And the kid is fine. They don't tell anyone else. It's a secret. Things move along, and then towards the end of the movie, the landowner or the manager, I'm not sure sees that one of the trees is cut down and then has to find out who did it and they they find out and then they get evicted. So all for trying to make a shoe for his son. Yeah, that whole thing, um, I hate to be critical, but like, first of all, are clogs made from a specific kind of tree? I don't know. Okay, second, uh, I I don't see why you'd have to cut down the whole tree. Like, because he ends up like just using a, a tiny portion. It's a children's shoe on top of everything. Like it, yeah, I could see yeah. an adult shoe, maybe. <laughs> so you you weren't believing that part. Well, it's funny just as a consideration in a, a film that's quote unquote like kind of realist. You know that it's such a un. It seems like such an unrealistic gesture to cut a whole tree down for a tiny piece of wood, and he even throws away half the tree. Like right after he cuts it down, he's like, nah, don't need this." But it it does kind of. It's in line with just making dumb decisions because you are so uh, desperate all the time that you don't think it Mm -hmm. through, which I think there is a truth to when you're always on the edge of survival, you're not thinking strategically, you're not thinking ahead. But that's what I was getting at. Short-term decisions. That's what I was getting at at the beginning of this, which is like there's a certain, let's call it folksiness, you know, in terms of how they present the characters, like that they are both victims of their circumstance, but like victim, like, but there's, there's a certain self imposition, like they can't help themselves, but to make stupid mistakes, like the coin uh, example or the cow, even, um, you know, them just wishing or praying that it'll come back to life. And then it does somehow, but like, so everything seems to be like, like you said, like by the skin of their, their teeth is just like very, very like narrow margins of error, but yeah. tons of errors stacking up on top of each other every day. And you're, and you're like, why did that guy get so drunk at that thing and bet all of his, you know, beans or whatever? Um, it, it's very. Would you would you rather be a poor person in current day Canada or a poor person in in that movie? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, it's kind of irrelevant to our listeners, but personally. <laughs> 
personally, I would say, um, you know, I was, so I was just, Kristen and I were away and we looked at um, some like for fun because there's nothing to do. We did like some real estate hunting and the properties in the, like we were looking at rural properties and like vacation homes and things like that. But the one that we liked the most that stood out to us was like a 30 minute boat ride into the middle of nowhere with like no neighbors, an island that was just a piece of like granite rock. Um, and it had a tiny cabin on it with no electricity. Yeah, we just went to Maine on vacation. We saw a similar island. And I have to say, I haven't been able to get this like island out of my head. I'm like, gotta buy that island. <laughs> gotta, gotta, gotta have it. How far, how far is it from your place to get there? How long would it take you? It would take us two and a half hours to drive and then another 30 minutes of boat. So it'd be like a three oh, hour journey. Yeah. It is nice that you you would really be disconnected. But there you go, right? Like, so, yeah. So to answer your question. No, no, no. But I'm saying be, being a poor person in the present day working in an Amazon warehouse or working on that farm. I, I mean, I, like based on what I just t- said, I, I'd re- like my fantasy on this island was like, I could install solar panels and then I could like fish and like <laughs> catch no, no, my no. own cake. We're talking about the person who is a like, laborer had kids too young is constantly trying to struggle mm-hmm. is struggling is in debt you know like really at the bottom of the rank but in in modern day canada yeah am I, am I allowed to like make strategic moves like become a drop seller and like yeah that's the thing like you have business knowledge which a lot of people when they grow up that way they don't yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, it's th- that's why all this historical fantasy in the end is. No, is I picked today. Is, I picked today. I'll pick today because I'd have access to knowledge. Whereas I think that those people, a lot of the knowledge was passed down. But that's not fair. Like, do it. Why? Why would I discount that? But I think, hmm. I, I like the idea that I, I have access. Ma- ma- to this is this goes this goes back to that issue that I was saying that. It does feel like we live in a place where if you're smart enough, you can get ahead. But then if you look at the data, that's not happening. So you would get ahead because you grew up with business owners as a family. So even if you lose all your cash, you'd find a way to make some. Well, it's also just hard to imagine yourself without an education if you've already had it, right? So Yeah, but but the same way I think when you think of health issues... Um, theoretically, it's like, yeah, just go online, read what's healthy, and do that. But then, if you look at the results, yeah. it's like, on average, there are lots of issues. So th- that's always, to me, the best way to understand. Well, then I would pick. This individ- I would pick the rural. this individual responsibility. In theory, sounds awesome, but in practice, it's not working. I guess I would pick the rural life though, because more people would be miserable alongside me. So, <laughs> well, that's the status anxiety thing. Yeah, know? because now you you you're. You might be have an awful job and be in debt and can't afford to feed your family and have health problems, but then you go on Instagram and you're like, oh, Oprah just had foie gras for lunch and whatever. Yeah, I think, though, as you get older, right, like the things that you equate with um, happiness are rarely like objects. Um, over, you know, over time, you start to value relationships more, especially as your parents get older or your family grows up you, you in time becomes more valuable because time seems to move faster and so that all, all those signs point to you'd probably want to be alive then because you would value you know you might value it even more like what mm-hmm. um and you don't have to remember any passwords well the password thing i can manage <laughs> <laughs> um 
Yeah, I mean, that, that apart, when I was looking at that farm, their home was pretty big. Like, it was bigger than my home that I live in today. Uh, oh, man, the way we lived on Mott Street, it was tiny, yeah. It, 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 that was one of the funniest things. I saw some uh, old punk bands from New York talking about uh, the East Village in the 80s and how wild it was and uh, this sort of CBGB's era. And like, yeah, we would see these rappers in the late 80s in, in Compton, like Dr. Dre and stuff, complaining about their life. And like, they have a freestanding house with a yard and they're barbecuing. That seems like a pretty good life. We have like <laughs> roach-infested tiny apartments with slumlords that kick you out any moment and cold and California. The gangster rappers, even from the Dutch perspective, were like, oh, those are pretty big homes. It seems like they have a nice life. Yeah, I mean, I think actually if we bring it back to the reality in the Amazon worker and right now in America with record unemployment and um, government subsidy about to run out for tenant uh, kind of assistance, we're about to, like there's about to be a major wave of like homelessness and precarity that passes through America, especially it's actually it's a pretty bad time. I mean, I don't I don't know if I need to remind people. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it, it probably if you I think we should go back in time and we should ask like, you know, we would ask those those families in Italy like, hey, would you? Here's the deal, okay? So you're gonna get to yeah, travel exactly. to the here's future. The time machine, yeah, time machine, future yeah. time. Here's what you get. So we're gonna you're gonna get off the farm. You're gonna be, um, we're gonna you're gonna get an old car or van that you can sleep in though. You know, no form. Forget that. You're gonna sleep in a car. The police are gonna like bang on the windows every day. But don't worry, <laughs> you've got a great job. Um, there's debt collectors you know, working as a <laughs> driver yeah, for a company that doesn't give you any benefits <laughs> it's like oh but no it's amazing but you will have a you will have entertainment 24 hours yes. of the day but you won't have time to see your children you will put a device in your hands with all the world's <laughs> knowledge and entertainment on it that and and but we will prevent you from activating <laughs> you know or using that knowledge <laughs> to get ahead um, we'll put up artificial barriers but also you can have a hamburger any time of the day or night, <laughs> and you can just barely afford that. Uh, it is it is wild, the difference in the mediated age. It's really wild to me how removed I am of poverty. Like, I, I remember growing up going to Brazil, and you see it quite often on the streets. Mm -hmm. But the way I live now, it's just not in my periphery. There are some homeless people where I live, but not that many. It's really, it doesn't seem, most people are just going about their way and it, you don't see people. Well, this is like a fundamental principle of like um, urban sociology as well, which is to yeah. say like for uh, A. But in Brazil, it's, it's, it's very in your face. Like you, you drive from the airport yeah. to the city and you see slums that are vast and they're all made of cardboard. And it's like. But because the yeah. problem itself is larger than you can comprehend or affect, people come up with. In any anyway, in sociology, they study this. They came up, they come up with filters to prevent them from having to deal with or notice, um, yeah. you know, the, the disparity or the caste system in place. I, I do remember driving, being in an Uber from the airport to home after a trip, and the, there's a bit of traffic, and I look to my right, there's some old Brooklyn houses, and then it's just like the police with a a storm ram, like a a big pole with six people, mm -hmm. just like breaking a house. But the first way that, the, that it's advertised to us that this is okay is that there's some, usually there's someone in the media or there's something, someone told you, like a family member or something, like these people didn't work hard enough, right? So there's usually yeah, some kind yeah. of narrative that's built into the social yeah. structure to allow you to do that. 
Um, because you would, as a child, you'd probably ask your parents like, well, why, you know, like, why are those people in that situation? Oh, well, they're more violent. And so, you know, they, and they have, they're criminals or whatever. <clears throat> and then, then we're like, okay, well, that's where just where the criminals live. And yeah, they, no one says they were unlucky. Yeah. They're get, always getting what they deserve, quote unquote. Right. Or you know, I say don't it's think like that, unfortunate. did your parents say that? They wouldn't say it like that. Right. Like, though I did use the terms, quote unquote, they, but they, there would be an implication that you don't want to end that up that way. You should behave well. You know, um, yeah, yeah. that's what they, my parents would definitely do. They'd be like, and I was terrified of being homeless when I was um, seven or eight, I think, because my parents had uh, almost went bankrupt. And then I was like, are there a lot of homeless people in Canada? Um, I think there's as many as anywhere else. But also the way okay. to, our cities are set up is so that the homeless shelters are integrated into all neighborhoods. Because there's this kind of Jane Jacobs model. Um, so like a, a few blocks from my house, there's actually a, a large tent that's a homeless shelter. But actually, because of the pandemic, a lot of people don't want to be in the shelters. So they're all putting up tents everywhere, which is really different mm. for us. Like I know that that exists in yeah. San Francisco, but um, it's it's remarkable because in the parks and stuff now, there are more and more of these like encampments. Um, and then we have a shelter system, but... The shelters are not great. Like no one wants to be like the way they do shelters here now is they do these giant like sports tents that are like stadiums and then they put them up in different like, you know, public parking lots all over the city. But one thing that's interesting is that uh, the culture that's preserved historically is the, the culture of the rich. Mm -hmm. So we look back and it's like, wow, Vienna in the 19th century and they had all these amazing philosophers and composers and that's a good point. Netherlands in in the in the golden age in the 17th century, and they, they had Rembrandt and etc. And I think Van Gogh was one of the first. It's like, well, people are just like getting by on one potato a day. It's not this still life with with pheasants and oysters and etc. Mm -hmm. And this this general populist nostalgia for the good old days. And it's like, well, I don't think it was so great back then. And maybe we did make improvements. Yeah. There's actually a funny um, public kind of sculpture near my house here in Toronto. And it's just by the water. And it's kind of hard to get to. But if you get to it, it's like a monument to the Irish and their like into their famine. famine. And so it's all these like emaciated, like, you know, crude um, human sculptures that are like begging you. <laughs> from <laughs> it's like the, it's pretty horrific to go and see. Because they, like they, there's no attempt to make it at all romantic. <laughs> You're just yeah. like, oh, okay, yeah, like these zombie Irish people really had a hard time. Instead of in in Philadelphia, they have a rocky sculpture. There's a scene where he runs up the steps of the big museum, and then they have a sculpture there of him in his uh, boxing briefs and his uh, boxing gloves, and he's just standing there. Well, I think again, like it's, that's the rags to riches individualist story yeah. that America promotes, and. Uh, and I think we'd promote it here in Canada too. I don't don't get me wrong, but like the, I, there's this false myth of a meritocracy. Like if you work hard um, and overcome adversity, you will be rewarded. You know, it is weird because you always know a few people that did move ahead and that and they're very convinced that the system is great. Of course they are. Yeah, it worked for them. Yeah. I mean, obviously, also those stories are extremely inspiring because no matter what stage you're in, and it's the same story that the church tells you in regards to going to heaven, right? Like. If you just do all the right yeah. things, this is really going to be worth it. Like, like let's tell it. Yeah. Like, what if it was I the? I know life sucks right now, but just wait till you. It die. makes a ton of sense though, because the opposite would be like, 
I don't know what society does this. Maybe it is the Ukraine or Poland or something like it sounds like a very Eastern European thing would be like, you know, here's how life works. It's going to be miserable. At the end is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, they use the church. They're very Yeah, religious. I met someone from Russia who unfortunately passed away. And he's like, yeah, Russia is just the butthole of the world. It, it, it doesn't matter what system we have, whether it's SARS or communism or Putin. It just sucks. It's always going to be worse. And they built Moscow in like a swamp too. So they must have been at the outset. They're like, this is a pretty good place. I mean, it's as good as anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most beautiful place in the world's largest yeah, country. Exactly. <laughs> Let's just build it here. I mean, St. Petersburg obviously is wherever, what everyone talks about being beautiful. So there's probably two kinds of Russian. Um, yeah. Anyway. But, but maybe besides all the, maybe we can do a little aesthetic analysis of the film. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Sort of the because it felt like a a different mood than I had seen in most other films. And when you're quali- I don't know qualifying you- aesthetic by like every property of the aesthetic, like the pacing, the time, the color, yeah. the grade. Mm. Yeah, the mood of the mm-hmm. film. Yeah, the mise en scène. Yeah, I don't know if it felt different to you if you'd seen that in a lot of movies. Well, describe what you saw. Well, as you said, they're non-actors, and a lot of it is there's not much dialogue, and it's really just the day-to-day of farm life, and you you see them uh, husking corn or butchering a cow, and at first they have to decontaminate the table with boiling water, and then uh, they have to cut it up into pieces, and they have to sharpen the knife, and so it it really feels the same way maybe documentary photography, where Mm. there, there is no voice, there's no dialogue, and you're just seeing scenes happen Mm -hmm. but then one thing that struck me is this northern european light it's the north of italy and so especially in the fall and in the winter uh, the morning starts with the dew and the fog and uh, it's it's a very un-hollywood it's a low contrast uh, low saturation grainy Mm -hmm. uh, i i found that part very interesting yeah. It, it, as far as, as, as conveying the time or, or creating a mood of that time. Like, there's literally no, you know, color outside of brown, some mellow, like, greens. Yeah, a bit of green, a bit of gray. A bit of gray, yeah. yeah. There's no, like, pops of red or pink or... Yeah, it's it's the opposite of... Even uh, the tomatoes are, like... A Marvel movie. He talks about, you know, there's that guy that wants to get... He's first to market with the tomatoes, and the tomatoes themselves are kind of, like, subdued in color, you know? Yeah, yeah. Was that uh, Yeah, that that character, the grandfather is kind of a cheerful guy. He's a little bit witty and he 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 hustles a little bit. He mm-hmm. sell, sell some extra stuff. Yeah, the, I I thought it's He has tomatoes before anyone else cuz he put a little bit of fertilizer in the winter. And, but I do think you're right in terms of the color and lighting treatment really setting the tone or emotion and then little touches like you know there's like always there's a lot of rain scenes with rain right which kind of gives yeah. you the feeling of precarity it, it, like in a weird way because il posto was shot in black and white then il posto felt like the atmosphere the general atmosphere was art house film mm-hmm. it wasn't i didn't feel like i was in italy in the 60s it felt like i was in an era of filmmaking yeah and then this because it was shot a bit later in the 80s and it was in color 70, and it's it it I didn't the same way I think of a lot of abstract painting originally was trying to create a universal language that you could disappear into and you're not bothered by figuration. Mm-hmm. But end of the day, you're confronted with something that looks a lot like art. I mean, Il Posto is definitely a lot brighter and more hopeful. Like 
it, there's a there's a bounce yeah. there's a bounce to it like the way it's shot is kind of like the city th- this you know the the reflect the yeah pace. reflections on reflections and happy like smart youthful people like even though it's hard they're like you know there's ambition well they're not hungry they're not dying yeah, exactly yeah. this was definitely like like the, that's funny because one of the biggest issues they have is they did have food but they were too close to the kitchen so their jackets smell like uh, oil yeah yeah and then she's she sprays a little perfume on his jacket it's like oh that's better yeah exactly so i think probably even when Olmi was making this film you know he was he was probably speaking the same way we were which is like isn't it isn't this a great time to be alive um versus the grandparent like that that position or that question you asked yeah 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 and i do understand that the emotional journey you have is like if you're used to growing up uh, in riches and then you lose 50% of that, that feels like a loss. And someone who comes from much less and then doubles their prosperity, even though they're at, at an absolute level much lower than the first person, they feel like a success. Yeah, I mean, I mean, people do this kind of, um, that's where I started the conversation, which is like, these comparables or, you know, like normalizing. Um, yeah. Well, we but I think one of the modern ailments, uh, the modern tragedies is that we're, no matter how far you get, you're, you're confronted so much with everyone's... I, I, one of the issues with modern mediation is that this concept of doom scrolling or jealousy or vanity is you can find every extreme way of life. You could find the worst, worst situation in the world and see it happening in real time. Or you could see the most glamorous life that is not even realistic. Mm-hmm. And there's this theory that we're not equipped to deal, to empathize with the entire globe. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it, there's always this tension between your personal journey versus the social journey. Like, Yeah, like, like let's, say, let's say that you, last week, you broke up with your girlfriend and you're sad. And then you see that there was an explosion in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, isn't it selfish of me to be sad about a breakup when 300,000 people in Beirut lost their home? I mean, it's crazy what's going on there. We should have acknowledged that at the start of the show. but uh. Yeah, but but it is, it is at some point, it's like the personal tragedy of uh, maybe a bird uh, shit on your favorite coat and you have to get rid of it and you love that coat or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's very real. And then the Beirut thing is very tragic but are we equipped to to empathize with the entire globe and seven billion people in real time i do think people in those situations do like i can remember spending time in istanbul after gezi park so being in turkey during that time and oh yeah i was there right before yeah yeah the same people i was like well how do you feel and they're like we i love this place but i am full of sadness every day because i see it falling apart and i think we're going to lose our country. And then, you know, so those same people, you know, eventually left Turkey and immigrated to the United States. And, um, you know, there's a lot of Lebanese people here in Canada, but like, you know, the idea that it's a better life, quote unquote, somewhere else is really kind of not a great, you know, not a great position to take because. And in the film, the the, the better life is brought by the church and it's a conceptual, I think it's, it's nothing they can ever really. Well, see. they also present Milan at one point in the film, and I think it's interesting because in Milan there are protests, and so what you get a hint of is like, yes, there are these oppressed people, but then there's like within the cities there's a separate type of oppression, but people have collect have, have formed collectives to fight collective action, and they're fighting back, and there's these 
they talk about yeah, and the military is present. Military is you know kind of attacking them, and this seems a you know to the rural people they're like wow oh my god like that's a lot of yeah, chaos. Yeah, it feels like the current moment. Yeah, yeah, and so there's the, there's almost like this um, yeah this it, it is interesting. I don't think they resolved in the film. They just kind of state it that like within the urban context the tensions are much higher, um, but in the rural context the you know kind of the same tensions exist. They're just accepted. You know, so there was almost like the fight versus the acceptance of, um, you know, of difficulty. And I, I don't think yeah. the film takes a position, which is interesting. It kind of even positions like smoke on the horizon as... I always think that the, the, the best uh, cultural expressions don't take a position because it leaves a lot more responsibility on the viewer. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a position in there if we really dissect it, which is to say... I, I read that at the time a lot of uh, leftist film critics saw the movie as rea- reactionary and sort of glorifying the church and accepting your fate and that it, it wasn't standing up enough for th- and and the current writer was saying that over time we we see the attentions of the filmmaker but at the time mm-hmm. the left was attacking this film the church is a huge part of the film though like and yeah. you definitely get the impression that he at least wants you to know that um all decisions are made via the church, including who your child is going to be, right? Because at yeah. one point, and even if your child has to be adopted, if, if you can't well, there's take this care bizarre like subscription uh, baby as a subscription service that these <laughs> these people at the end of the film subscribe yeah, to. Yeah, the Uber for babies. Yeah, they, if you take this baby, you also get like this great package of like incentives, like a monthly stipend until they're 15, and da 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 da. Um, I think for anyone who hasn't seen the film, this podcast must sound bizarre. <laughs> There's just so much that happens in the movie. It's just three, three and a half hours of the world's most boring movie, so it's not much to ask. I think that there's like 25 movies in here. That's why my position is that it's like a television show. Like you could break it up into 15 minute segments and call it like. It was originally made as a television miniseries, and oh, that's why okay. it doesn't have the cinema aspect ratio. And then I think it won a bunch of awards, and then it was released theatrically. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you don't have to feel guilty that you watched it in parts. <laughs> did did you did you feel one of my critiques of the uh, sort of Marvel movies is that I always know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, did you feel? I really felt like it was kind of an edge of your seat film. <laughs> where I was like, oh, I hope he finds the coin. Oh no. Yeah, like, yeah, that feel. yeah. Exactly. You know. Um, well, or he goes out to cut the tree in the middle of the night, and you're like, oh, this okay. is not going to. Because work I knew well. about the cut, oh, because I knew about this tree getting cut down. I have to say, I got frust- It was edge of your seat frustration because I was like, oh my god, I've been watching this film for two hours, and this when is this tree going to get cut down? <laughs> Like have they established? This is the longest establishing shot I've ever witnessed. <laughs> um, so like they take two hours to establish these people are miserable, and then the tree thing happens, and then that's still like, and then it's actually barely a blip, and then an hour later, like the whole film like unravels in the last five minutes. It's like the big, the world's longest joke, like set up for a joke. It's like thirty, you know, three hours to set up a and five then the minute drum roll. Yeah, drum roll. Um, but I, I, I think of the film as nice the way it ends, which is these people are evicted. They're packing up their stuff. They've just had a newborn child. So you're, you know, what you end up doing is kind of completing the rest of their lives in your head as you yeah. project 
well, what would they? What are they going to do? Uh, they're going to have to go find another farm. Are they going to go stay with family? Probably they're going to stay with family, but they have this new child, and like, how's that going to go? There's no phones. They're probably just going to show up there. And it, it's like that thing when when you get fired, and and your boss tells you, "Don't think of this as an ending, but think of this as a beginning yeah, of a new chapter." It's definitely a new beginning because you also, yeah. I think, feel like that's probably how they arrived there in the first place. Like, there's no one. That, there doesn't really seem to be permanence uh because they're tenants of this land at any point in the film yeah they they do say at one point the you know there's the the guy that plants the tomatoes like he's like every year i'm the first one to market so there is some continuity there but there are very few threads and it it also the one of the things i noticed is that money is is very much a part of the psyche even at that time we think that modern life is so money focused but they're also sort of the hustle culture I mean, it's but it, but it, the, there is everybody. The money is replaced by labor, like so. Yeah. You know, it's to generate one the like the cow or generate the the tomato. That's why that cow died. Yeah, but they're like they, they they have to give up their crops, but then they hide part of the crops or they put some rocks at the bottom of the cart yeah. so that they get a little, a little bit, bit more. That's and, true. I yeah. mean, but I think all that's set to establish that it's an unfair game, and they know it right from the outset, and they're just trying to like level it a little bit. Um, yeah. And then as soon as they like go a little bit over what's acceptable for cheating, they're like completely um, I, evicted, right? I imagine you starting a company one day where you as the boss make less than minimum wage and <laughs> the, the, the lower the rank, the more money, people, uh, okay, the here's more the, money yeah, the employees Here's make. the pitch. I own a farm. You get to work <laughs> on it. Everyone gets to eat. <laughs> I don't no, know. No, no. Your, your, pitch, your pitch would be, I will do all the work. You guys just hang out and eat the food. <laughs> You're channeling yeah, my week, actually. Um, anyway, yeah. I think uh, the film was interesting to watch. I, I think we got to move on, though, um, from this like realist <laughs> trend and, and explore some surreal uh, or impossible okay. futures and or imagination. Yeah. And I think when, some, yeah, when someone some. was volunteering animation, we're not supposed to talk about what we're going to do next, but I, I do think it would be cool to look at some of the Studio Ghibli stuff that's on Netflix um, recently. But I don't, no promises, but I think it would be cool to go into Well, you can make a choice right now. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, yeah, I was thinking, like, um, I don't know which of the Studio Ghibli films... Uh, have you watched any of them? Yeah, but they're kind of all blended in my head. I think I've seen four of them. Yeah, I think it's a good segue from this, because um, in some ways they're, like, set in the future, but also the past, and... They're very. They're not like your traditional Disney movies. There's no, you know, but there's aspects that get sucked in. They're very bizarre, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I'm curious. That the the U.S. has always had this ideological dominance through entertainment. Mm-hmm. They just made the catchiest films, and then everybody's like, "Yeah, that's the way I want to live." And I wonder if the U.S. has so, so much brand damage now that. People don't look up to it anymore, that way of life. Mm, you think it's all over. Maybe there's a new cultural era upon us. Yeah. One of, uh, yeah, anti-normative or, sub, you know, subcultural. I wonder. Or maybe, end of the day, most people just like hamburgers and feel-good movies. And Well, I think, like, ultimately you get into this debate of it can't be a binary, right? There has to be more than one more than two no but maybe what i mean is that that star wars the last one was like a very diverse cast but it's still every conflict is solved with violence mm-hmm. that that never ends so it's a, it's like 
yeah, we're still promoting war and violence, but now uh, we have a diverse. I think it's usually more like hero and anti-hero, but yeah, for sure. Like yeah, but but also violence. If you see like how how much violence did you see in this movie? Well, there was economic violence, like for sure. Yeah, but there wasn't guns, fist fights, resolving oh, things yeah. by screaming. That, that that war scene or whatever is like actually just you know a few blocks over. You never get access to the visuals really for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess not. You know, and I, I, we should challenge ourselves to find some exam- some American examples though that might fall into the realist realm. I think like yeah, um, I'm certain we can find some. Um, but I do want to go into this kind of space, this animation Top space. Gun. Yeah, t- Top Gun. <laughs> Top Gun 2. Uh, Starship yeah. Troopers. Um, no, but the, actually that's not even an American... F- I guess it is an American studio, but... Um, yeah. I think when America does it, they do satire. That's how they, they you know, kind of... Yeah, they do a caricature. Yeah, so the subversion is like a, a... Well, I feel like a lot of the superhero movies now are sort of caricatures of superhero movies. It's like in the middle of the scene, it's like, okay... Bye bye. Got to go save the world. No, you're right. So yeah. the way they've escaped the trope is to make fun of the trope, and then that's become the new trope. It's really like a YouTube video. The Guardians the, of the Galaxy and yeah. Deadpool. Everything is a supercut. But that's why I think you could recut this film, <laughs> and you could make you could make it an American <laughs> film. Anyway, um, in a world where people plow without <laughs> a landlord, <laughs> a golden coin, <laughs> a tree. <laughs> forgotten one chance <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway i enjoy i did enjoy the film but it was really hard to watch and i i apologize to our audience i and, i love i love making your life harder yeah i know i appreciate it. yeah my life is so hard i had to watch a three-hour film about how hard life was <laughs> exactly um yeah so uh pandemic problems um yeah see you all next week yeah, I guess see you next week. Yeah, we have no way out of this situation. <laughs> we got we got we got to get better at our own narrative arc, but uh, we're working on it. Thanks again. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Thank Bye. you. Bye bye.
vi abbiamo preparato così alla meglio. Non ci era mai capitato di ospitare degli sposi. Siamo molto felici della vostra santa unione. Il matrimonio è un santo sacramento. Siate sempre degni della benedizione di Dio che vi ha uniti.